You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. It's like Super Bowl Sunday's game on. It's where I earn my paycheck. I'm so excited to have such a large group. This is kind of like stand-up comedy opportunity for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. And so as hard as I worked on the theology of the talk... And to make sure the Bible stuff was right, I spent most of my time sweating the funny stuff. And so if, and I struggled. I had my kids, I had Laura, we were going through funny stories with something this, that, looking at Jack Black and movies and this and that and the other. That's what I went to bed stressing about. Didn't sleep all night. So if I say something that is remotely funny, what's your job? You're gonna laugh. Just like, you're, good, good, that's good. Let's do a practice laugh, practice laugh. That's awesome. It's all about Jesus in a minute, but right now. So when I was in elementary school, I was in elementary school and I remember transitioning in this phase of life from being afraid of girls with the cooties to, okay, you don't need to be laughing at every little thing. I, I, was, I remember transitioning from being afraid of girls with cooties to being kind of like, I'm going to slow down just enough to let them catch me. Because I like being caught and tickled. And, you know, they'd hug you and the attention, the affection, the affirmation you would get was very kind and fun and nice. And I remember this journey. Uh, the, the, it was the beginning of relational intimacy for Antley. It became a very important part of my life and is today. But I remember some of the games that they create in elementary school to promote this relational intimacy, right? We all know them. I'm going to say them out loud and make it awkward for some of the high schoolers who maybe haven't played them yet, but they will. They, they will, or they have, or they might not. Or maybe you haven't. If you haven't, that's okay. This isn't a prescription for getting married or being with people or growing in your intimacy. This is just how it worked out for me. Anyway, the games were like spin the bottle, right? That's a great game. Let's spin the bottle. And whoever it lands on, you're going to have to kiss. I mean, that's like borderline, I mean, illegal t- today. In the workplace, you get arrested for that. Right? Or, or, or like truth or dare. That's just, hey, let's open the Pandora's box to awkwardness and uncomfortable situations with people you're going to have to see at school the next day, right? Well, I remember. I mean, and this is in the midst of like, Already emotional turmoil, political upheaval at school. I mean, elementary school is an intense time where things are going on, right? I mean, things are happening. Grace came home this year. She said, she said Dad, I'm running for class president. Like of her class, not the, the whole class, of her class, there's a president. She says, oh yeah, 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 I think I'm gonna win. There's two boys winning, so I ran. I'm the only girl. I'm, I'm bound to win because the girls are gonna vote for me and the boys are gonna split their votes. I'm gonna win. Sure enough, she won. (laughs) But again, there's this crazy thing going on with your body, all the political upheaval, the relational stuff, the emotional stuff that's going on. And there was this one party I went to, I remember, they added this game, I'd never heard of it. It's called Seven in Heaven. Yeah, you remember that game, don't you? It should have been called Seven in Hell. Because if you win the game, you end up in a closet 
or a room by yourself with someone of the opposite sex that you got to spend seven minutes doing something with. And when you're like in third or fourth grade, your mind's just like, what am I going to do? It sounds fun at the time. It sounds exciting at the time. But when you get there, you're like, what am I going to do? For seven minutes. It feels like seven hours when you get into the closet or whatever. Anyway, I remember winning. And your friends are cheering for you. You feel like a gladiator going into the ring to win, have victory as a guy, right? And so you go in there and the girl goes in there and they're kind of cheering. It's like an awkward kind of like, and we're like the closet door closed, the lights are on, thank the Lord, would have been even more awkward. And you're like, in third or fourth grade, there's only one way you know how to kiss. That's like peck, kiss, lips, cheek, that's it. So you're left with this option for seven minutes. Right? That's what you're doing. Or, or maybe you're going for the multiple peck. For seven minutes. Try that with your wife when you get home. That is forever. That is forever. But this is what happens. This is my point. Is you get in the room, right? And all of a sudden, there's a look on her face. And it's inconsistent with the checkbox that she checked that said she liked you. It's inconsistent with the, with, the, with the information you got from the underground connections with your friends saying, oh yeah, she really likes you, dude. She really is into you. This is gonna be great. She really likes you. We're gonna get you seven in heaven. It's gonna be awesome. Da, 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 da. She looks scared. She looks like, I don't wanna be here. She looks like, I don't like this. I don't like you and I want out right now. And you can't go out because it's like, suicide socially if you go out before the seven minutes. And so then you're stuck in this environment with this girl who looks like, I don't want to be here. She was chosen accidentally and you feel horrible. You feel, and all of a sudden this, 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 this excitement and this euphoria, this blessing of an opportunity that you thought was going to stand as a marker in your life is all of a sudden like death, oppression, This is the worst thing in the world. And what am I going to do? This is not what Jesus promised me. What's going on here? This is my point. The motivation, the factor that got us to that point, that got her in the room. If it's off just a little bit, all of a sudden what we once cherished that gave life and was blessing is all of a sudden the opposite. It's death. It's oppressive. It's awkward. And we want to get out of there. Think about it this way. Here's another illustration. You go out to dinner with someone, right? And they, at the end of the meal, they say, hey, I want to pay for you. And you go, no, 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 no. And you do the obligatory, no, 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 let me pay for myself. And they go, no, 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 your money's no good here. And you say, no, 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 I really want to pay. And they say, no, you can't pay. Your money's no good. Well, what are they meaning? What are they trying to do? They're trying to bless you, right? They're trying to, to, to demonstrate their love for you, their affection for you by paying for a meal, by paying for something that you don't deserve, but they want to give you out of their love for you, right? And their friendship for you, okay? Well, what if you found out like the next day that their wife made them do it? They're like, hey, hey, you got to pay for Antley. Him and Lord, they're, they're in a bad place. You, you got to go pay for him. You got to pay for him. Now, I know he orders a lot of food and he eats a lot, but you got to pay for him tonight. <laughs> and so he looks like he wants to bless me. He's acting like It's like a a demonstration of his love, but there's this external pressure 
on him to do something nice for me. If, when I find out about that, how do you think I respond? Oh, no, you didn't. I'm like, no, you're not paying for me. And, and you feel the opposite of blessing, love, affection, and friendship, don't you? You feel like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm taking you out. I don't pay for you. You're, I'm not going to say it. To be, I'm going to let you get what you want. I'm going to pay for you now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and you're unhappy or you felt burdened until you pay them back, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can also nod and say yes, even when I'm not saying a joke. All right? Well, this morning, I want to consider this. This truth and this reality is that when we, we, is that this, we feel more loved, we feel more blessed, we feel more cared for when people, this is an obvious statement, willingly, eagerly, and truly desire to demonstrate love and care for us as opposed to when they're doing it under compulsion, right? When people are doing something under compulsion, we question their motives. It doesn't make us feel loved. It doesn't make us feel cherished. It doesn't make us feel special. If someone's locked in the closet with us who really doesn't want to be there, it's awkward. It's not a fun, happy, good feeling. And so what about Jesus? What about when it comes to Jesus' love for us? Do we believe that he did it because he had to? Because of external pressure from his father? Did Jesus die for us? Did he demonstrate his love for us because of something other than a real desire for us? a real joy for us, a real love that he had for us. Because we just said we respond differently based on what we believe about that, right? If we believe that Jesus did it because he was obligated to do it, he really didn't want to do it, he got himself in this really crappy spot and he had to follow through. I mean, eternal history's on the line. If he's doing it out of this external pressure from God, then we will live differently. We will live like we have a debt to pay back. We will live like, oh, he really doesn't love me. God doesn't want to be in the closet with me. He doesn't want to pay my debt. He had to, and he did it. And so what do we do? We spend our life trying to pay him back. We spend our life trying to earn his love, trying to pay our debt, instead of receiving the love that he has for us as his children. This morning, I'm going to show us that it was the exact opposite. We see the depth of Jesus' love for us and the freedom in which he gave us his life, the willingness of it, the eagerness of it, the gladness, the joy that he found in dying for us. He was not forced into doing something that he was not willing or eager to do. Yes, it's true, he did not enjoy suffering, on the cross, it did not turn, you know, physical pain did not turn into physical pleasure. It was suffering, it was brutal. But I want you to see the depth of his love for you this morning and the freedom of him giving you his life. The willingness that he did it, the eagerness that he did it, and even the joy that he found in dying for you. He loved us with all of his heart, not just a part of it, not just a fraction of his heart, but all of his life was poured out because of his love for you. The scripture this morning is John 10, 14 to 18. And it says this. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the, sh- I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Pretty clear there. He says, no one has taken it. No one's taken my life away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Now it says, this commandment I received from my father. When we look at that, what's really happening there, it says, the father and I love the same thing. We love, we love you. What I love, the father loves. The father loves me, I love the father. What the father loves, I love. What I love, the father loves. The command that he has is the command of my heart. It's the desire that I have. Is it obey him? Is it to obey him? Of course it is. But the desire that he has, where that's coming from, is the same thing, the same place it's coming from me. It's coming from my love for you. So he says, but, but when we read that, no one takes my life from me. And I read that and I thought, really? That's inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. I mean, it says, I mean, what about Judas. He's the scape. I mean, Judas turned him in. What about the mob in the garden who came after him to kill him, who captured him? That looks like they took his life. What about the false witnesses that lied to have him imprisoned? They took his life. And the crowds who cried, crucify him, crucify him. Well, they, they were a part of taking his life too. And Herod, who sent him back to Pilate, and Pilate, who then handed him over, and the soldiers who hammered the nails, they all played a role, it appears, in taking the life of Jesus. At least, that's what Scripture says. And yet, he says, no one's taken my life from me. This is what he means. At every point where it looks like I was under constraint, every moment where it looks like I was being forced to do what I did not want to do, I was not being forced. I was choosing it. I was embracing it. Indeed, I and my father were orchestrating it because we love you. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. My love is free. My love is free. He wants us, he's making a point in this passage that the love that he offers us is given of his free will. Why is that so important? He stresses it because if it weren't true, if his death were forced on him, if it weren't free, if his heart really wasn't in it, then a big question mark would be put over his love for us. Would that really be love if he didn't choose to do that for us? Would that be love just by definition? If I came home on Valentine's Day with a bunch of flowers for Laura and I said, hey babe, I got you these flowers. I love you, but I got them because it's Valentine's Day and I had to. I was under this compulsion from the world. I know you're going to be talking to your friends. I know that if I don't do this, people are going to leave the church. They're going to hear about it and leave the church. I I mean, I got to do this. So here, here's your flowers. Is that love? Does that feel like love? No. Is there a part of me that, oh, she knows that I love her and everything. But there's kind of a question mark around that. If Jesus doesn't do it out of his free will, we question whether he wants us, 
in the closet with him or not. We, quether, we question whether he wants to be intimate with us, whether he, he loves us. We question whether he's doing it out of compulsion or there is a genuineness, a genuine desire, a genuine joy for us. If he didn't die for us willingly, if he didn't choose the suffering and embrace it, then how deep is the love of Jesus? How deep is it really? So he makes it explicit. He stresses it in this verse. No one, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. It comes out of me, not out of circumstances, not out of pressure, but out of what I really long to do. Jesus is stressing to us this morning that his love for you is free. He wants to pay what you owe. He wants to cover the cost that your broken and sinful life has incurred. He's telling us this morning, your money is no good. Let me pay for you. Let me serve you. Let me love you. Your effort to pay me back is a waste of your time. I have done everything that is necessary on my own accord. I mean, that, it almost seems too good to be true. It's like we need Jesus to remind us of this because we, we, we struggle with being guilty and shameful. We struggle with living under the burden of broken lives still, as believers and non-believers even. It's like Jesus knows that we're gonna struggle with this. It's like he knows that we're gonna hear the voice of the enemy say things like, Jesus really doesn't love you. He's a mercenary. He's a hired hand. He's doing it because God made him do it. He got himself in the situation. He's the only one who hasn't sinned. I mean, who else is gonna do it if he doesn't do it? He's gotta do it. Don't believe the lie that he's doing because of love. Believe that he did it because it had to be done. And Jesus responds, no, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. So he's pressing this on us to see if we'll believe his protest that he loves us, that he really, really loves us. Or if we'll believe the opposite, that his heart really isn't in it. Both of them will affect the way we live. Look at your life. How do you live in relationship to God? Is it always because of shame? Are you being driven because of guilt? Are you trying to pay something back you feel like you haven't earned? Well, then you probably believe, you probably believe that Jesus died, not because he loved you, not as a gift, but because he had to. Jesus, this, this is what happens on the, the night that Jesus is arrested. There's two things that he says, stunning things that he says that did this, sealed his death and also showed again how he was acting under his total freedom, his total desire because of love him dying for us. It's when the mob finally came in. We've heard the story, maybe, maybe not. They come in, Peter pulls out a sword, hacks his ear off. I know, I'll protect the king of the universe and he hacks his ear off, right? <laughs> what does Jesus say? Jesus says this, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? 
And he will at once put, my, put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Seriously, Peter? Do you really think this jack wagon with a knife, sword, gun, or whatever he had can take my life from me? Do you really think I could not call on my father at any moment and have averted what is coming my way? Do you really think that I'm afraid of this guy taking my life? Say, no, Peter. I lay down my life freely. I choose this. I embrace this. This is my love at work for you, Peter. This is no accident, you know, accidental mob violence coming in out of the blue that I wasn't aware of. I didn't know that was going to happen. This is me in my freedom demonstrating my love for you, Peter. My love for you. My love for the world. Peter, don't try and stop it. I'm choosing this. And then he turned and healed the man's ear, and he said this to the mob. He said, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. What does he mean here? He said, look, he said, I've been with you all week long, and you haven't touched me. It would have been easy for you to kill me there. In the broad daylight, you had the authority to kill me, but this hour is yours. What's Jesus saying? I'm giving you my life now. I'm choosing the time, not you. I've chosen this hour for you, and I've chosen this hour for me. I decided it was my free will, it was my choice to give my life now, and I've given it as a result of my love. I am walking willingly with my eyes wide open, with all of my heart to the cross, because I love my sheep. I love them. I really, really love them. And so we see this truth in this scripture that Jesus has died for us, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. But what does that have to do with the resurrection? I haven't even talked about the resurrection yet. It's talking about his death. What well, says this in the rest of verse 18? This is crazy. It's one of those things that you've read and you read over and you're like, oh, I, know, I was right there the whole time. What well, says this? No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. We've been talking about that. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Say, what? What Jesus is saying here is this. I have authority inside of death, once I'm dead, to take my life back again. That's crazy. There's nobody Who's ever made that claim? No one who's ever done that. That, that, I mean, of the two things that we're talking about today, which is easier? Is it easier to kind of orchestrate when you're going to die or how you're going to die? Or is it more difficult or easier? Is it easier to orchestrate coming back to life? Like you bringing yourself back to life once you're dead. Just saying. Don't gotta be a rocket scientist. Don't have to be a theologian for this one. Obviously, It's much more difficult if you're dead to bring yourself back to life. I'm just saying. It's much more difficult. So what's the point? Why is that so important? The resurrection of Jesus is given to us as the confirmation or the evidence that he was in free, he was indeed free of laying down his life. And so the resurrection is Christ's testimony to the freedom of his love. If he has the ability to reclaim death, then certain, certainly he had the ability to avoid the cross. Certainly he could have come up with a plan 
to avoid dying on the cross for you. Certainly, it accentuates and makes beautiful the love of God for you. If he can bring himself back from death, he certainly could have figured out a way to avoid dying for you because of his love for you on the cross. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose to die for you. Of all the great things that the Resurrection Sunday is about, it also means this. It is the pronouncement. I mean it. Every one of you, this is Jesus speaking to you. I mean it. It was free. I chose this. I love you. I did it for you. Not because I had to. I could have avoided it. It was my free will for you, my love for you that brought me to the cross. You were the reason I died because of my love for you. Hebrews talks about, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy, for the joy of suffering on the cross, was there any joy? No, there was no joy in his crucifixion. You are his joy. You were set before him. You are why he died. You are the joy that was set before him, that he chose to endure the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. His resurrection this morning is a shout over us. It was free. It was free. I have chosen it. I am alive to show you that I really loved you. I freely loved you. Nobody forced me to do it. And he invites us this morning to come to him. All of us who are broken, who are hurting, who are tired, who need the good shepherd to pay for us, to save us, and to believe that he wants intimacy with us, that he demonstrates that by dying on the cross because he wanted to show us his love. And he tells us this morning, I forgive you and I accept you. Would you let me pay the price? Would you let me pay the bill that you deserve? In the same way that Jesus has demonstrated his love for us by freely giving us his life and dying for us, we too have the same opportunity this morning. We too have the opportunity this morning to offer our love to him, to offer our life to him, to acknowledge and believe that his love for us is greater, that his love for us has paid the price for us. Your choice to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, to become a part of Jesus' plan and his kingdom, his family, is an act of free will on your part. It's a demonstration of your love. This morning, you can choose, if you already haven't, you can choose to rise from death, which is life apart from Jesus, and choose to receive the life that he has died to give you. Easter is your opportunity to choose choose Jesus, or to choose Jesus again, not just for seven minutes, not just for heaven, but forever. That begins today. It begins today because he loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know and chose to lay down his life for you to show you and to prove it to you. Amen. Let's stand.